No single institution impacts the global economy more than the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is why we all better pay close attention when former insider Danielle DiMartino Booth notes that the Fed is concerningly off balance, destabilized by a flurry of internal and external challenges to an extent she's never seen before. I've never seen anything of this drama inside the Fed. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. Perhaps no single institution has more impact on the global economy than the U.S. Federal Reserve and the trillions of dollars in stimulus that it and the other major world central banks have released since the COVID pandemic hit have made the system even more dependent upon its actions, which is why our financial markets are understandably obsessed with a single question. What will the Fed do next? To help us answer that, I'm thrilled that Danielle DiMartino Booth is returning to the program. Danielle's CEO and chief strategist for Quill Intelligence, and she was a former advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. So she knows the Fed as well as the people who run it well. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us today. So happy to be here. Really excited. I mean, there's once again, every time we meet, it's such a boring backdrop, but here we go. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I want to delve deeply into the Fed with you because there's so much in the news these days about the Fed. Um, but very quickly, I want to ask you the question I, I like to ask all of our guests just at the outset. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? Um, I think that today's current economy is catching up with the economy that existed prior to the pandemic. So, um, and that was a period of slowly slowing down. Uh, the process is more expedited here in the United States. The difference that I would assign uh, in terms of the end of 2019 versus where we are today is the specter of inflation, which has been created by uh, an overly aggressive fiscal and monetary response. So um, again, that cannot take away from the fact that prior to all of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that was pumped into the global economy with the Fed, of course, in the lead, the global economy itself was slowing. We're seeing similar slowing trends in world trade, which is extremely crucial to where the global economy, you use the word global, global economy is headed uh, at a time when risky asset markets are as overvalued as they have ever been. It doesn't matter what tenor you look at right now in the US junk bond market, they're all yielding negative when adjusted for inflation. And we're in absolutely uncharted waters in the history of the financial markets. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous uh, that uh, junk bonds uh, are yielding less than the current rate of inflation, right? So to your point, the, yeah. the actual real rate is negative, which is just crazy. So look forward to delving into that. Um, uh, I think you said unprecedented moment, unprecedented moment in history. I want to dig into that too. Um, but before we get more into the markets, let, let's start with the Fed. As I said in the introduction, um, that seems to be the access around it. Everything is spinning right now. Um, 
All right, so let's let's start with the taper. Um, you know, we have been so uh, used to the Fed uh, intervening in the markets really ever since the the global financial crisis uh, coming you know coming out of that that crisis. Um, you know, the Fed and the other world central banks have have been there. You know, through multiple QE programs. Uh, and now sort of QE eternity, where they've just been sort of pumping, you know, 120 billion a month into the system. And that's after the, the, the massive stimulus injections uh, that they did back in 2020. So Powell is now saying that, hey, we're, we're actually going to start, you know, tapering. We're, we're going to try to bring that to zero between at some point soon in the middle of 2021. So I guess first question for you is, do you think it's going to happen? And if so, is that a realistic timetable? Um, so, you know, there are, there are certain things that are not being discussed right now uh, in the broader financial media, one of which is it, it is against the grain of the Fed's policy making function to make major shifts when there is any politicking going on in the background. Uh, there's a massive debt ceiling overhang that was never resolved by the X date of October the 18th. Instead, it was extended out to December the 3rd. So the, for the Fed to make a major policy move at its November the 3rd meeting would be extraordinary against the backdrop of Fed history. In addition to that, the Fed does not typically make major policy shifts in the month of December, so as to not appear to be the Grinch that stole the holidays. So uh, is it possible that we're gonna see, see a taper announced on November the 3rd? Yes, uh, it will not be a comfortable moment for uh, Federal Reserve officials because again, this goes against tradition and they could be appearing to be trying to help out the, uh, the GOP uh, by, by putting the Democrats feet to the fire in terms of saying, we need fiscal austerity. The UN, United States sovereign debt was downgraded in 2011 because we hadn't addressed entitlement spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Fitch and Moody's have the United States on watch for a similar situation if none of these entitlement spending runaway programs are, are addressed. And here we are at the opposite end of the spectrum with the Democrats wanting to spend three, four, five, six trillion more dollars. Again, this is not an environment into which the Fed normally steps and says, okay, we're gonna tighten policy as well broadcast as the taper is. But to your point, and I'm sorry that I'm drawing out this answer, to your point, they've let the inflation genie get out of the bottle. And apartment leases aren't one or two or three months. They're not transitory contracts. They're 12 to 18 months in nature. And we saw that rental inflation is rising at the fastest pace that it has been since I believe 2005, maybe it's even 2001 in the most recent consumer price index uh, report. That print's not going away. The housing inflation is going to continue to, with a lag, bleed into the CPI data. And on top of that, the supply chain disruptions have yet to be rectified, though it looks like we're starting to see the beginning of a turn. But that's neither here nor there, because again, the, the sticky parts of inflation appear to be manifesting and the Fed might be in a position to where it needs to do a hurry up tech taper, not just a taper, not just We'll do, gradually do $10, million, $10 billion a month in tapering of treasuries, $5 billion a month in tapering of mortgage-backed securities, but actually be forced sometime in 2022 to get through the taper and start hiking interest rates. 
All right, um, great. You just combined uh, answers to several questions I was gonna ask into that answer, which was great. So, um, all right, where to go here? So I, I wanna put up a chart here, super briefly. Mm -hmm. This is a chart of the um, Atlanta Fed's GDP Now graph where they, they track GDP in real time. And it shows a precipitous drop where they were projecting over 6% GDP as recently as the end of August it's now plummeted to 1.2%. So this goes to your earlier point, Danielle, about you know, sort of returning to an era of slowing growth, right? I mean, and, and, and that's a ridiculously quick deceleration, at least in terms of expectations for GDP. So um, you know, I think that's one more factor that makes it hard for Powell to you know, want to taper, right? Because the economy seems to really be slowing. But then there's all these other factors you're talking about. And I was going to ask you about inflation, but you already went there. So um, I guess the question is, is it's sort of that old question of, you know, immovable force or unstoppable force meets immovable object. Um, when you have a slowing economy like this, but you've got rising inflation, which which wins? You know, do, do, do you think which do you think will win policy wise? Do you think the Fed will have to taper and maybe raise or if the economy slows enough? Can they just not do that? It's just, just not politically palatable. So one of my one of my savviest clients who's been kind of in the trenches in the bond market forever uh, noted a few days ago that the spread between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year treasury has been compressing. And that normally is a sign that the 10-year is going to come down and that the economy is slowing, which is going to be reflected in your longest maturity, long bond 30 years. And um, the stock answer to the question, which you're asking is, is the Fed going to commit, commit a policy error? And the answer is yes. No matter what they do, the answer is yes. You cannot tighten into an environment in which you have all of these zombie firms that rely on the high yield markets, the capital markets staying wide open for business just to keep the lights on because they're their cash flow doesn't cover their interest expense. So they have to constantly turn over their debt. So you cannot hike rates into such an environment. You cannot hike rates in an environment in which the United States debt load is pushing $30 trillion. And yet you cannot not hike rates when inflation is out of hand as it is. Companies are trying to deploy mitigating uh, mitigating efforts, which people don't really understand to get wage inflation under control. And I think the biggest risk right now to the economy that nobody is talking about is the, the specter of millions of jobs having been eliminated forever, permanently, automated. Um, the idea of accelerated automation is not being discussed enough by the broader media inside of the macroeconomic community and circle. And people just seem to think that because their time has come, employers are going to roll over and play dead and just pay up and screw the shareholders. It's not really how things work. Is there a massive divide and disconnect between how co corporate C-suite executives are, are compensated and how their employees are compensated? Absolutely. Should the minimum wage have a seven handle? No, it should have a 10 handle. We get that. 
15, not so much in Mississippi or Texas where I live. So there are major disconnects between employers and employees, and I get that. But we wouldn't see, we would see more dynamism in the labor market. We would see more job creation. We would see more of the, oh my God, there's 10 trillion job openings. The, you know, the sky is absolutely falling. Wages are going to the moon. We would see more of those openings being filled if companies truly had the need, unless there was a separate factor going on in the background, which is very apparent when you look at what companies are spending on IT and on automating, and it's right there in the GDP figures, right in front of your very eyes. So people cannot appreciate that there may be millions of jobs that were lost in the post-pandemic era that are gone forever. Okay. so. Uh... This, Danielle, is something I've actually written about for years and wasn't planning on talking about it in this conversation, but I'm just thrilled that you, you brought it up. Uh, thrilled. Not, not thrilled because I'm happy about eye, it. I, the light bulb went off above your head. I said, what did I say? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I've written a report I wrote a few years back was called Automating Ourselves to Unemployment. Um, so given a lot of thought to this because, um, you know, we, we, the Austrian School of Economics talks a lot about malinvestment. Right, we have provided a big malincentive out there for our corporations to replace human labor with automated labor um, or automation. Um, and uh, there's, you know, Keynes, and you can like him or not, but he actually used to write about this. It's called technological displacement, and he basically said that uh, when you can replace human labor uh, with something better, you know, with innovation, great, you should do it but you gotta be careful about the pace at which you do it. If you do it so fast that you displace the labor and you can't put it to a more productive use, you end up creating a social crisis that's larger than the cost savings that you were trying to, to get by the, by the transition. So uh, I see you nodding here as I say this, so it sounds like you believe this uh, as well. So you know we're creating this um, very scary potential for you know, millions of people uh, to be permanently unemployed in, in a lot of, I mean, we're now automating much further up the, the skill chain than folks ever thought possible. I mean, the, there, there are many what, more and more white collar jobs that are getting displaced either by AI or, or whatnot. But, yes. but the meat of this is really in those, those entry level jobs where that's people sort of on ramp uh, to employment. And, and you know, starting their careers and then then growing from there. So we're we're kind of killing the on ramp, as well. So um, look, I, I don't have a solution to this except just to say that that you know, we, to your point, nobody is thinking about the permanent problem that we're creating here. You know, I, I uh, I'll give you a piece of anecdote. I was discussing the fact that um, that I needed to do a a small addition, and I was concerned about the large fee that an an architect might charge. And I was speaking to a group of builders and they said, no, 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 no. Here, 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 here's a card of some guy, I'll send you his contact information. Um, he's in India. He'll do it for an, an eighth of the price and it'll come back better and it'll be all specced out computer. You just hand it to the contractor. You're good to go. You've just excised 80% of the cost of the architect that it used to be. And we're also starting to see, nobody's talking about it. Offshoring has accelerated in the past nine months. And we're seeing more jobs go to India as well. And the biggest problem that you bring up with societal disruption and Keynes's theory that could very well play out before our very eyes in the United States of America is that our educational backbone and our vocational skills training backbone, they've been broken for generations. 
So we, we don't have children coming up behind. We don't have generations coming up behind those who will be displaced, who can necessarily quickly climb up that innovative ladder that you described, as opposed to other countries that have never stopped focusing on the next generation of, whether it be vocational or technical, technological education. Okay, well, well said, and, and Daniel, I got to have you back on to delve really deeply into this, but I got it's way too many other questions. It's a gonna... huge, huge subject. It really, really is. Yeah, well, I, I would love to talk about it more and, and with you and just try to get more smarter minds than mine out there in the world beginning to address this. Um, but real quick, just before we leave um, what we were talking about earlier. Sure. So, you know, if I heard you right, you're, you're basically saying, look, Fed's between a rock and a hard place, whatever they decide to do, they're going to be they're going to be damned for it. Um and so I guess at the end of the day, um, what, what is worse, right? Is it, is it all of the, the horrors of, of, you know, I'll say runaway inflation, maybe it's not exactly going to be that bad, but certainly the, the, the price increases that we've seen over the past you know, year have been scary. And if they, can, can, if they continue like that, there's a large part of America that's just not going to be able to afford its existence. Um, but to your point that if they start to hike, with this, you know, zombie economy that they've created, where there are just so many over leveraged organizations out there that that need these basically near zero interest rates to stay alive. Um, you know, if you think if rates go up, I mean, there's going to be so many defaults there that that's going to a ripple into the financial markets, destroy a bunch of paper wealth, but but companies are going to die, and and it's going to exacerbate the job situation. There's <laughs> just you know a bunch of bunch of jobs that are going to go away because the companies themselves die. So if you're Powell and you're you're trying to pick right or left, you know fire or ice, what do you choose? That's, that's why the Fed cannot tighten, but the Fed has to tighten. All right, they're going to have to you know destroy the village in order to save it, basically. Look, but this is a bed that they made. Um, and, and people have asked me, and you know, I, I, for heaven's sake, and I've said this before out loud many times, I was, I was the founder of the J-PAL fan club, and I was so proud of him on his first day in office when the market crashed, and he didn't say a word, and he went to Congress, and he said, it's not the Fed's job to backstop the stock market. I said, well, we finally got an adult in the house. This is so exciting. It's going to be so refreshing, so wonderful. And on March the 23rd, 2020, he grandfathered in triple B rated companies that right above that rung of junk that if they were downgraded that they would be grandfathered in and with his approval they would remain with their investment grade standing so it is right at the doorstep of jay powell that though the post-pandemic flash i call it a flash recession because it was two whole months the flash recession could have been worse maybe it could have been three months maybe it could have been four months instead of two whole months but had he not grandfathered in the weakest links right now, we wouldn't be carrying this massive weight into this dilemma and decision that they've got. But we shouldn't try and paint it as being something that's not of their own making because they're the ones who made it. All right, well, I couldn't agree more on that. And, and, and you and I have felt this way for a long time. I would say the average person has it? I mean, the one they don't really follow monetary policy, you know, as part of their daily life. But maybe they you know, get out and we do, Adam. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and and you know, I think they tend to think of like, oh, Fed. That's the guy that steps in and gives us, you know, gives everybody money when they need it, you know, to get out of these these problems we get into. So they still think of 
the Fed is the hero in the story. And of course, that's the, what the Fed is out there portraying themselves at. But um, confidence in the Fed is now cracking, right? We've, we've finally seen it made you know, into the, the mainstream media where they've been picking up stories of these you know, Fed executives that were doing these insider trades that, that really look pretty, pretty specious. You know, they really look pretty self-serving for guys that were setting policy and knew where policy was going to go. They're making many multi-million dollar trades that they benefited from those policies. So I guess the question is, is how, 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 how dangerous, how, how damaging is all this for the Fed? Is it something the Fed can shrug off or the fact that Rosengren, Kaplan, Clarita, and now Powell's trades themselves were, were leaked the other day? And we've got Senator Warren out there calling for an SEC investigation of the Fed. You know, is this going to stick? I hope it sticks hard enough to go all the way to, to the SEC also investigating Congress since Nancy Pelosi herself has an investment club that follows her investments. But oh, I hallelujah, sister. I digress. Um, you, you know, what I find to be curious about this is the timing, right? The timing. The end of January is when Powell's term comes up. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to lay a few things out there that are, are in the public purview. I'm not throwing anything out there that's not public, okay? Uh, you know, in, in 2016, Lael Brainerd uh, publicly contributed to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. That was very much frowned upon inside of the institution because, well, it was a big no-no, a huge no-no. But of course, that was under the presumption that she was making that she was going to be Treasury Secretary. And then Trump won. So there were a lot of people inside the Beltway when Biden was elected who said, well, he'll make good on that Democratic pledge. And then it was Janet Yellen instead, who was appointed to be treasury secretary. You know, just because we want somebody who's totally market savvy in charge of the treasury in case anything goes wrong, which is what a labor economist, how they're defined. So then she's, so Lael Brainerd has been looked over not once, but twice. And the betting markets in Vegas, predictit.org has a 92% probability as of September the 12th, that Jay Powell's going to be renominated. September the 12th, 2021. That's what his probabilities were. And all of these trading scandals start to hit around that time. Now, there is a committee inside of the Fed, which you can find on the Federal Reserve Board's website, that is in charge of monitoring the operations of all Federal Reserve district banks. The chair of that committee is Lael Brainerd. In a recent CNBC interview, my former boss, Richard Fisher, stated the following in his capacity as president of the Dallas Fed in his past life, the person in Lael Brainerd's position, her predecessor as head of this committee was the one who signed off on his personal financial statements that had been annually submitted. So you know, because she's been chair of this committee for longer than 2021, back several years, She's presumably been seeing all of the same trading types of disclosures from the same individuals. And yet, now is when all of the revelations are coming. Uh, I just, you know what, I, I don't believe in coincidence. And uh, a phone call to the Federal Reserve Public Affairs Department asking for a description of what the committee does an actual physical phone call uh, was stonewalled. And there's still nothing on the website. So again, these are all matters of public record, but I find what's going on inside the Fed today to be extraordinary, extraordinarily Machiavellian 
If you look especially at Powell's holdings, they tend to be index funds. That's a requirement at the Fed. Those are requirements that are handed down from Congress. So are the optics of what's going on right now awful? Uh, you know, I respect a lot of Kaplan's uh, hawkishness was the fact that he had individual holdings in stocks that were multiple millions of dollars each a no-no? It certainly was when I had cl class one clearance at the Fed. I certainly wouldn't have been able to hold those, but somebody's been signing off on these financial disclosure statements for years now. And in theory, the person who would benefit the most from having all of this dirty laundry aired is happens to be the one Elizabeth Warren has checked as her her chosen one to implement socialism as we know it in America. Again, I just don't believe in coincidences. So the optics damning for the Fed, very extraordinarily excruciatingly in the middle of a financial crisis, in the middle of a pandemic, front running Fed decisions, blah, 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 blah. I get it. But we've been in unconventional monetaryville since December the 14th, 2008 at last check, okay? So it's just too, convenient timing wise for all of this to be coming out right now. And by okay. the way, the Senate's not going to confirm Brainerd. Good luck with that, Elizabeth Warren. And I'm not trying to take sides or not. They just understand that she would be a puppet for the progressive movement and help push through modern monetary theory, universal basic income as we know it today, which by the way, We've just taken for a long test drive in America and it failed. The only thing UBI succeeded in doing was creating inflation and lots of it. And potentially a disincentive for people to go work. That too. Okay. Um, all right. Well, you do such a great job of anticipating my questions and answering them uh, beforehand. Um, but just to recap a little bit. So it sounds like what you're saying is, is yes, it's going to hurt the Fed. Um, it, it, it will be a, more than just a flesh wound. Um, secondly, uh, there seems to be um, a concurrent, or, or maybe this is the causal reason for the, the leaks about the insider trades, uh, but that there may be a, kind of a coup underway inside the Fed uh, by folks that want to get Lael Brainerd uh, the chairmanship. Um, sounds like you're saying, uh, even if Powell gets so... Uh, damaged here that that Biden doesn't choose him uh, to, to stay on when his term expires. Um, you don't think that Brainerd's actually going to um, survive appointment. So is, is, did, I, did I summarize it all quickly? You summarized it very well. In fact, there's a Democratic member of Congress, Democratic, who said, good luck getting Brainerd through. So if you're centrists, Democrats are not going to be on board you don't confirm via reconciliation. You gotta have the votes. It cannot be 50-50 straight party lines. Confirmations don't work that way in the Senate. Okay, so um, just to ask you to sort of just postulate here, um, do you think Powell's gonna get um, re-extended or do you think somebody else is gonna get, besides Brainerd that's gonna get, is more likely to get appointed? I think the door has certainly opened to a third party to come in. I, I do. Uh, the betting odds right now are Bostic and um, and Roger Ferguson, who's com come out of the private sector, uh, but he was at the Fed uh, before. Uh, so there are two other individuals who are theoretically, if you're looking at Vegas, in the running. Uh, their probabilities are low, but that being said, Brainerds are still down at 20% as well. So 
there is indeed the possibility of a third person, but it has to scare the tar out of Biden because the, the most upsetting potential event for the financial markets at this point could be a change of leadership at the Fed, especially if they're about to shift policy. There's only so much you can do to upset the financial markets when they're this fragile. Right. And markets hate uncertainty and uncertainty at the most important institution you know, in the world, as I said in the introduction, you know, doesn't help the situation. Exactly. Um, all right. So last question on, on sort of um, on this topic. Um, uh, let me put it this way. Um, whoever it looks like may win out as we get closer. Would love to have you back on to give us a sense of what a Fed under their tenure might look like policy-wise um, in terms of differences from, from Powell. Um, but since we don't know yet, um, the remaining question I just want to ask you here is, with the folks that we just lost due to this you know, insider trading scandal, um, has that shifted the tenor of the Fed one way or another, you know, more hawkish, more dovish? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Uh, so Rosengren was going to be a voting member in, uh, in 2022. He was definitely hawkish. He was clearly advocating uh, for a taper earlier on. Uh, that puts more of a highlight on Christopher Waller, who is new to the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, who is a hawk? Uh, we, I, I hope to see. I hope to see a governor dissent in Waller's position. He's the one that I pay the closest attention to these days, believe it or not. So, put him on your radar screen. Kaplan would not have voted until 2023. He was clearly hawkish. Uh, the most important loss, however, even though his term was coming up, is Randy Quarles. And uh, we have banking supervision and regu regulation right now that is effectively leaderless. Theoretically, Bowman and, and Brainerd are running that particular extremely important area of the Fed. But his stepping down early, in my purely personal view, uh, to, to put his backing behind Powell, because the position that Brainerd theoretically does not want is second in command, which is head of banking supervision and regulation, which I think Warren would take. But I think Brainerd wants the chair position really badly. But I think that Quarles stepping down early as if to say, here's the chair Brainerd, it's yours for the taking. Let Powell go on to his second term. I think the one that people are not discussing enough is the fact that Quarles stepped away, however they put it in the press release early on. I think that that is the most symbolic and again, you don't want to have bank soup and reg not supervised, at least from my memory of what the Fed does, you know, supervising the financial system. I'm sure it's nothing. All right. Uh, that's actually a great segue into the next topic I want to talk with you about. But uh, very quickly, I'm guessing a lot of viewers here didn't didn't realize what degree of intrigue there was at the Federal Reserve. It's like it's like Game of Thrones you're describing. I, I've I've never seen anything like that. Back in the Geithner days and the heat of the financial crisis and zero interest rate policy and do we have to go to the zero bound and quantitative easing? Would we ever buy corporate bonds? At the time, the answer was absolutely not. Would we ever delve into municipal bonds? At the time, the answer was hell no. So all of these things that played out in 08, 09, 10 that just brisked right through. I've never seen anything of this drama inside the Fed. I, I can just imagine how much and aggressively they're going to have to be redacting the transcripts, which should theoretically be against the law. 
Wow. All right. Well, look, maybe it's the next uh, engrossing Netflix series that goes on there. You know, the, the drama <laughs> inside the Fed, the next reality series. Um, all right. So last major question on, on the Fed, um, and that's CBDCs, right? Central bank digital currencies. Um, so the Fed has, every time they talk about it, they seem to show that they are really getting interested in doing this, that they there's are planning. Coming. Yeah. Whenever, whenever you hear that there's a white paper coming, that means that, you know, Check back with me in a few years. And that's Powell, by the way, that, that's all Powell. Okay. That, that's Powell dragging his feet. Brainerd would expedite the process. You're getting to the crux of the division between the two philosophically. Central bank digital currencies, um, I did a segment for NPR for Marketplace. They do provide a conduit with which to provide banking to the unbanked in America. Yep. who are swallowed by payday loans and overdraft protection fees. And these are real things. I'm not discounting how really, but it, it, central bank digital currency is also a conduit through which to uh, legalize, make Federal Reserve liabilities legal tender and bypass the treasury or marry the Federal Reserve to the treasury so that you can print money and directly give it to individuals at their accounts held at the Fed. Right. And that is why there are Democratic Congress people in Montana saying, whoa, no, to Brainerd, because that's Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Sherrod Brown. That's their vision for the future is how to not just, because we know that the IRS can direct deposit money. They just can't do it very well. There's still people waiting for their stimulus checks out there. What they're looking for is a more seamless and elegant conduit through which to deliver money directly to the people. And that is what a central bank digital currency would accomplish. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we could talk, I, we could have our oh, this is its entire, own entire interview on its own on this, and, and maybe we should. Um, but uh, uh, I guess the question I have for you here is, do you see a U.S. digital dollar as inevitable? Well, we, we're already a digitized, okay. This, the word digital is always what throws me. And I'm not trying to push back at all because we're already digitized. Um, let I, me just say a currency of the form you just described, right? Is that inevitable? I, I hope not. I, I, I am concerned that if, uh, that if we continue as a country down the road to profligacy and that China inevitably rises in the wake of that, and they set the standard in terms of having a CBDC such that we have no choice but to also have one in order to coexist in the global financial ecosystem, then it, it's an inevitability. Okay. Um, and again, we, we could, I know there's a lot of nuance here that we're not going to have a chance to get into. Um, if we have one, um, I'm just asking for your opinion here. Uh, do you see it being able to coexist with the other sort of coins in the cryptoverse? Or is the Fed going to say, once it exists, they're going to say, nope, you know what? All those other coins are for terrorists and criminals, and we can only use this one. So as a former bureaucrat, this is my view on your question. Um, when I was at the Fed, like so many of my peers, in the aftermath of the financial crisis, the level of talent and brain power was 
enormous. And then once the Fed did the big bailout, then everybody who was really brilliant went back out onto Wall Street. So I say that because if and when the regulators can finally figure out what these things are, such that they can be regulated, because that's where we are right now. We're in no man's land. They don't know what they're dealing with, so they don't know how to thereby regulate it. They don't know what it is. But when they finally figure it out and do place regulations on it, and when the G20 finds a way to globally regulate most of it, then we can begin to address the answers to the question that you just asked. But until regulators figure out what they're dealing with, I think it's very difficult to say. Okay, and you know, I think that the, the, the crypto um, experts or passionistas that I've talked to, you know, basically said, look, the genie's out of the bottle. There's no way they're gonna be able to, you know, Stop all this stuff. Sure. And, and the question can, I'm asking you, 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 you can always tax something out of existence, right? Well, exactly. And, and that's here, here's the I'm going to ask the question a slightly different way and then we'll move on, which is, you know, before the cryptos came around, I was always struck by how completely intolerant um, the Fed and the Treasury were to anything that could potentially, you know, be a competitor. And this goes down to the guy banging out silver rounds in his own garage. You know, he'd go off to jail. Right. So um, I, I guess, do you think that um, if they have the ability to understand and, and feel like they can go after these guys, will they based on principle or do you think they are looking for a way to kind of coexist? You know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. OK, fair question. And look, I, I don't know if anybody does, but I, because. I, <laughs> The reason I don't have an answer to your question is because they're because the factions are so divided right now who are pushing against even the establishment of a CBDC, of the establishment of a Fed coin, because they're looking at it through a political spectrum, whereas you're looking at it through a spectrum of a means by which to transact. And it's two completely different angles at which you're coming at the same entity. Okay, I, I, f fair point. And look, like I said, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen in the long run here on this. But but certainly. Oh, but, you, but again, you can always, you know, taxes are taxes. Right, and I think if I think if you know, rat holing this for one more second, if um, I don't know enough to really have an informed opinion, but my sense is that the genie probably is out of the bottle technologically. Um, but, sure. uh, but what they can say, what the government can say is, look, yeah, you can trade those coins all day long, but the minute one of those coins tries to see the light of day in a transaction that we can see, you know, we may just tax the bejesus out. And, and, and yes, sure. And of course. So, yeah. and I mean, and, and that's why when you get into DeFi and, and other nuances, things get really complicated really fast. Uh, because you're talking about things that are in the public purview and can be seen, things that are transactable. And that's, that's when you're like, wait a minute, if we're not in the shadows and we're in the light of day, then ergo are we taxable? So, which I think is, is your point. Yeah, and I'm sure we're gonna get a ton of comments uh, from all the crypto oh, folks uh, you know, all over the spectrum here. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, good. Well, look, very last question on the Fed topic before we get to markets. Um, Danielle, I make you empress tomorrow where you can 
put forth any reforms, any changes at all to the current Federal Reserve System, including abolishing it, if that's what you decide to do. What are the biggest changes that you'd want to put in place early on? I've always been um, of the opinion that we hope you've been enjoying this discussion with former Fed insider Danielle DiMartino Booth. The interview continues in part two, where Danielle provides her outlook on the financial markets, whether or not she worries about a correction, and which asset classes she favors for the road ahead. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description to this video below, or go to youtube.com slash wealthion. But before you go, please don't forget to hit the like button and then click the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. It only takes a second and it really helps us out, as the more subscribers this channel has, the more excellent experts like Danielle we can attract onto the program in the future. And if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the risks that Danielle has highlighted here, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our video interview with Danielle DiMartino Booth.